0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Bebo University podcast. It is so awesome to have one of my dear friends and folks I've looked up to for a long time onto the podcast this week. Dana Martin, college counselor at Mastery Charter School Linfest Campus in Philadelphia. We discuss what Philadelphia students are worried about that is not COVID, what informs her ever changing counseling style, what admissions folks need to know about resilience and trauma that can be found in today's student, and many more topics. So thank you so much for coming back to the Bebo University podcast. I hope you enjoy. Thank you, Dana, for agreeing to come onto the pod. Um, I wanted to have you on the moment you sent me this link to an article you wrote through your blog last week. The blog is entitled Passionately, managing life which i love that title and i want to talk to you a little bit about that moving forward but this article was talking about something in particular that your students are worried about you mentioned that in philadelphia teens aren't afraid of covid but they are afraid of something else what is that something else that you wrote about
1: so thanks jeremy so much for inviting me to the pod i'm really really appreciative um It's been something that's been on my heart for a while, and it took me a while to just put pen to paper and actually talk about it, but many of my students and family members um, aren't necessarily afraid of COVID-19, but it's more so afraid of gun violence, and when I say gun violence, I mean being shot and killed before the age of 21, sometimes before the age of 18. Um, This is something that is very prevalent in our communities, and our students are grappling with it on a daily basis, more so than they are with COVID-19. Um, and in my blog posts, I kind of explore some things that my students have said anonymously, of course, but just that have, that are just like eye-opening to people that aren't in our communities, or our students to be going through such trauma at such a young age and with such frequency when did
0: you start to become aware of this to the point where like it moved you to write about it? Cause you know, as somebody who teaches in Philadelphia does an incredible job of counseling students. And I mean, over 20 years, you know, everybody knows who has any dealings with Philadelphia. They know Dana Martin, they, they uh-huh. know your represent, you, you know, they re- know your reputation and that that reputation is well-earned and, and everything like that. But like when did this become something that you were so aware of that it started to to weigh on your heart and made you want to write about this.
1: I mean honestly, right before the pandemic and I didn't even plan to share this, but right before the pandemic at my school one of our students was um shot and killed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and being at my school for as long as I've been at my school, um for you know 12 to 13 years, we haven't lost a student to gun violence before and then in the course of 18 months we lost two more. Um, in addition to two others being shot. So that's five students being shot two, three um, being killed um, in the course of an 18 month span. And this was happening over and over again. But also we had more students that were impacted directly, whether it be family members, um, friends. They were in, not involved in it, but maybe witnessed it, witnesses to crime, witnesses to gun violence incidences, um, where students would be in the hospital all night because someone was shot and they were there supporting them. Um, so the trauma of it was coming into the school. Um, and I can say in my own family, there are so many instances where it would be, you know, brother-in-laws, I'm always worried about because they're younger, um, just being in and around in, in the city, I had brother-in-law was shot over and within the past five years so it's just it's not that when I became aware it's always kind of been something that's been um, maybe not in the forefront but just like you always tell people to be safe or take care or just make sure that you watch your surroundings it seems way more prevalent though just um there was just like this trauma associated with the fear of gun violence with more and more of our youth mm school, around our school, in my family, in our families, in our communities, and it's just, it just feels like a cloud of dis- despair at this mm. point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I certainly understand where you're coming from. You know, it's always when something hits us close to home. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I think we've seen that with COVID in itself, right? Like, you know, some people were wary of vaccinations and they were wary about whether or not this was a real thing. And then somebody close to you gets it and then you don't hesitate to get the vaccination. And so Mm -hmm. it makes sense when violence hits home, you know, at your school of 13 years. Where that would make you just say, okay, enough is enough. It's on my doorstep. And then with the family aspect, you know, that that makes a, a ton of sense. And one of the things I thought was interesting, one of the students that you mentioned anonymously or quoted anonymously, they said, I want to leave Philly because it is not safe. And so as you're counseling students about their post-secondary plans, and I think you do an excellent job of just all post-secondary plans, trade schools, Mm -hmm. college, community college, the the whole nine, how is that impacting the way that you counsel your students Mm -hmm. when they bring this to your doorstep and have these conversations with you?
1: I mean, just the way that we had to change our counseling style with COVID, the way that we had to change our counseling style with the racial uprisings. Um, You have to, you you go with the flow of the times and when students and more and more will say, I I need to get out of Philly because it's not safe or I don't want to be here because I just want to see something different. Mm -hmm. I try to get them to express what it is that they are seeking, not what they're running from. What are you looking for in a post-secondary institution? Try to get them to see what they want their future to look like as opposed to what they want don't want their future to look like. Um, I'm very big on speaking life and speaking words and having my students really dig deep into who you are as a person. What is, what is it that you want to do? Where do you want to be? And let me get there. Um, so I really help them focus on where it is that you want to be. Um, this has changed my counseling style in that I'm having more and more heartfelt conversations with students just about um, where they wanna go to, but also leaving behind family members. Like students take care of younger siblings and you know, don't with moms and dads and things like that. So more conversations are held about, if I go to college, I'll leave these people behind. What do I do in that sense? Um, mm-hmm. But the overall focus of my counseling style is honestly, what is it, what do you want to do? Don't tell me what you don't want to do. Tell me what you want your life to look like so that we can make it happen.
0: And so what informs, like you talked about changing this counseling style. Like what informs you in making those changes? Is this just, you know, a talent or ability of yours? You know, because some of us are just great at doing. Doing things like that. It's almost like it's built into our DNA. But is it that, you know, from reading different materials, is it through professional development? Like, how have you gone about adapting your style to meet students where they are?
1: I mean, it's a mixture of everything. We've been hit by so many things. And we have so many virtual opportunities to learn things. Yeah. Um, I will say that I'm a, I'm a kid person, not an adult person. I say that that's my thing around the building. Like I can cater to my, giving my 12th graders any day at a meeting, no thanks. <laughs> but um, I just have to, I, I, I treat my teenagers like they're people, mm. uh, even though they are going through still late puberty, adolescence or whatnot, and they're still growing and forming their own identities, but treating them with an ounce of respect um, really listening to what it is that they are saying that is bothering them, whether it be in the moment or long-term, really building that respect and rapport with the kids goes a long way. And I know people say, you know, relationship building is key. That is a part of it, the being genuine yourself. Like, I don't need to be who I'm not to create a relationship with my kids. And I also yeah. don't need to be who I'm not to see that that young person is hurting or that young person wants, um to do something different with their life. Um, today I had an encounter with a student that just like, can you please call my mom? Cause I want to go home. Um, the lesson today dealt with gun violence and I don't I don't feel okay with that. Mm. Um, and just knowing that, okay, it's not just like a staunch rule thing. Like you gotta go back to class. Let me listen to you. Let me call your mom. Let me talk to attendance and see if we can get you on a dismissal. Um, I will say people do say i do have a knack for just talking to people whether it be like kids um i i call it jedi mind tricking getting them to do what you want them to do making (laughs) came up with the idea that's my thing it's (laughs) called Jedi mind tricks that's all my teaching and counseling style is um lots of professional development my company gives a lot of professional development and reading Mm. just also we're all humans right we know how we want to be treated um this whole gun violence thing and again the reason why I wrote this piece was because this is something that has triggered me. Um just over the past, I'll say 2 years, but honestly our whole life. Like we're always, I'm not going to say always, but a lot of times we're scared of losing a student or someone that's close to us in the communities that we live in. Um one of the biggest shootings in the city happened 5 minutes from my house. Um to Broadnony. So I live, you know, uptown as the folks would say in Philly, but it seems like shootings are happening everywhere and anyone can something can happen at any given time. Um, So back to that question, Uh, I don't know, Jeremy, I just, I just talk to kids, get them to tell me stuff and trick them into picking something for their post-secondary path.
0: (laughs) I love that. And, you know, I I was wondering about that, especially because with that student, I, I mentioned that you quoted that he wanted to leave Philly because it's not safe. It was a young man, Who said Mm -hmm. that? And we, as young men, we are not very forthcoming with that type of information. Mm -hmm. And so, like it it makes more sense now that you put so much focus on building respect and rapport, because my first thought when I read that quote was how did she get that out of him? Was he mm-hmm. forthcoming with it? Was that something after several counseling sessions he came forward with, like, mm-hmm. are you finding that your students who are being impacted by this are becoming more forthcoming with that information and how this gun violence is impacting them in this city, or is this taking Several conversations for them to get to the point where they feel comfortable telling you about this.
1: I feel like in that whole rapport building is so key Um, to get anyone to feel comfortable with you. They have to feel some type like some type of reciprocated just investment. Um, So if it's just like me coming up to a student and saying, hey, how's gun violence impacting you? And we have no, you know, rapport. No, you've never talked to Ms. Martin before. It's not going to go over well. Um, I think that me teaching my students, in addition to counseling them as well, having multiple touch points per week, being in the hallway. I call myself I'm like school mom. That's what the APs, uh, the principals will say. Like I literally I'm talking to myself all the time hey, get the class, get up, how y'all doing? Like literally just have running commentary. Um, I find myself approachable, but not a pushover. And um, with that student in particular, and with a lot of them, they want to open up. They want someone to speak to. They want someone to talk to. And if they feel like they will be heard, that someone that they're speaking to is someone where they can place it, where it won't be judged or misunderstood, or even the person won't even do anything about it. They'll just dare to listen. I find that um, the conversations flow a little bit easier. And also like during counseling sessions, I usually start my counseling sessions, um, the first one with who are you? Just tell me about yourself, whatever you want me to know about yourself, I'm going to take notes, but just tell me what it is that you want me to know about yourself. Um, And that leads me into asking more questions about, you know, background and what you want to be and all these other things. And I find that a lot of times students are just opening up during those sessions about themselves. Um, The sessions are supposed to be about themselves, but they end up opening up about other things that are impacting who they are. And, you know, the trauma of everything that they've been through comes out.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me, because I, I think a lot of us, especially our young ones, like, they want to make sure you're not just voyeurs in their life, but that you actually are invested mm-hmm. in what's happening with them. And there are a lot of people like, oh, how are you doing? And they they just want to know from a cursory level yep. or they're prying. And so that and now it makes a lot more sense while your students are so comfortable communicating these thoughts. And, and kids worrying. know.
1: Yeah. Just like adults know, like kids know who's there for them, who's not there for them. They know, you know, when you just are trying to make a data point, like kids mm. do know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, there was something else you mentioned in your article that I think there's been a lot of conversation coming out about this. You know, you you mentioned how, you know, a lot of these cases are going unsolved a lot of conversation has been happening about just policing and what gets coverage and what doesn't in the news. And we obviously have had a very popular case nationally with a a young woman, a social media star who went missing, who we now know was murdered, right? But there's been a lot of conversation coming out i think of certain communities especially the black browning community saying well why is that covered to that extent as opposed to what's going on in our communities and the missing persons we have are the unsolved cases yeah. we have not being covered as well have you been having conversations with students about that or was that something just you yourself and your husband you've been processing in your in your own life
1: it's been both um so my husband and i my husband is a huge part of a lot of just my reflection when it comes to thinking about black men in general mm-hmm. and violence and, you know, worrying about his safety. Um, and literally he goes to work and comes home, but just thinking about that, but also uh, students will just point out the disparities, like this dude, this young, and it's a very unfortunate case. Like I, I wish I am the, I'm the parent of a 20 year old. So I can, yeah. you know, but the double standard is definitely seen. Um, here in Philadelphia, four out of five murders are solved. And that's not a that's not a statistic I'm making up at all. Um, there have been over 1,700 people shot this year. There have been over 400 people murdered this year. And less than four out of five of them, like people, they've been solved. And when we think about the cases that have been solved, or if you look at Statistically, the cases that have been solved, many of them have not been cases of students or people that look like me meeting mm-hmm. you, honestly. Mm-hmm. And in Philadelphia, um, I'm getting upset. Wow. Yeah. In Philadelphia, um, it just feels as if if I look a certain way or if I'm from a certain neighborhood, if someone kills me, no one will go looking for that person. That person won't get found. Um, there will be no justice for my family. And if you live in a place where you are constantly undervalued, people that look like you, people in your family, people in your neighborhood, you see people in your neighborhood that have been murdered where there's little investigation, there's little reach out. People are blaming the community for people not quote unquote snitching or or turning. Like there's a lot of blame in the neighborhood for why the gun violence or why the murder rate is where it is. But if you are a young person and you know that 12 people have been shot within a mile of my house in the last month and not one of them has been solved. What makes me any different? What makes my life any more valuable mm-hmm. than anybody else that's been shot where, you know, I live and lay my head every day? Mm-hmm. That that value piece is key like that we as a people thrive on feeling like we matter to someone. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to use the, the word matter because right now it's very commercialized. Yeah, politicized. We thrive yeah. on that feeling of value, just as a person, having just a human experience. And if you're in a community where this is where I live, I can't go anywhere else. It's where my mom and my grandma stayed. It's the house that I live in. But I don't feel value from the surrounding community, from whether it be the public officials or whoever's supposed to protect me at the age of 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. Like, how am I supposed to feel like, how am I supposed to contribute positively to society if I don't even feel valued by the people that are supposed to care? Mm.
0: So how are you helping your students to process all of this while at the same time readying them for some college campuses that they may have on their list that also (laughs) don't value them? Right. Mm. Because like one of the things that I've been obsessed with in my own little brain um, is. The performative nature that exists in the world, right, where everybody, you know, changes their their Facebook statuses and their pictures and their Instagrams and stuff for whatever is going on in the news, save this population, support this population, whatever. But then, you know, after a week or two, everything reverts back and you're not thinking about those peoples, those groups, those affected communities anymore. And when it comes to a a lot of colleges and universities, they were so quick to publish how diversified their incoming classes were, Mm -hmm. you know, coming in this fall, right, because of test optional and other policies and things that they had adopted after George Floyd. But my question always was, okay, that's great, but what supports are you going to have on campus yep. for these individuals once the, mm-hmm. once they're not just an admitted student, the admitted now they're an enrolled student. In, enrolled student. Mm-hmm. And I think we're gonna learn a lot about that. So how are you helping your students or or how could we, what advice do you have for all of us that are trying to help these young men and women make these transitions? What, are, what conversations are you having with them to prepare them for that, that you're also maybe going to institutions that may or may not value you either? Well, a lot
1: of it is building up the self, right? We, it goes back to just my whole self-care regimen in the beginning. Um, Just, I literally can control what I can control. I can focus on what's within my locus of control, but building up student sense of self. When I ask them questions like, who are you? Where do you want to be? Sometimes it's the first time they've heard or had someone ask them straight out. What do you want? Don't tell me what your parent wants for you. Don't tell me what someone else wants for you. Don't tell me a career that's going to make you a lot of money. Tell me what it is that you like to do on a day off when you don't have to go to school, go to work, do anything. What do you find yourself doing? And in those conversations is where I start to plant the seed of you are a person. And you are when when you feel like you're a person and that you matter and that you have value, then your gut and intuition can pull you into certain certain places. Saying all this to say, preparing students to go into institutions that may not value them, building up their sense of self can help them tremendously. Um, They're doing lots of research when it comes to, you know, diversity and um, supports on their campuses, but also anecdotal information as well. Talking to old students or former students of mine about certain institutions, looking into the multicultural type of environment that the schools provide. But building up that sense of self for me is the most important because you can, you know, when something is for you and isn't for you. Um, And I really want them all to get to the point where they are picking things or picking whether it's college or trades for whatever they're picking things that are a good fit for them a good personal fit for them not just affordability not just academic but does this place make me feel like not necessarily at home but does this place make me feel like i am going to be valued while i'm here so just building up their sense of self is key for me do you
0: find yourself now because i think the way we advise students is completely different than it was two or three years ago mm-hmm. right? And in light of a lot of things that have happened nationally, internationally, you know, whether it be COVID impacts or mm-hmm. things that are happening socially. Right. And I, one of the things I've been really loving about these seniors, uh, everywhere that I've been thus far is they are asking the act the next question. They are asking the things that get buried in footnotes in fine print. And it's been really refreshing, mm-hmm. but I'm interested in learning, do you find yourself not recommending certain schools to students that you know have a penchant for not supporting those kids, and like in those ways? Like I think right now, like I'm I'm just being realer with students about everything. Yeah. Right. So like if if you ask me a certain question, I'm not sugarcoating things anymore for a student because it you could be setting that young man or woman up for failure. Right. By not if they're looking for a specific type of support or a certain community. And I know we do not offer that. I'm not I'm not sugarcoating that anymore for kids. Right. Mm -hmm. So are you finding when students are building lists and, you know, maybe a school is on their list that they're not going to get the type of support they they want? Are you being more like? not forthright because obviously as a a school counselor you always forthright with that information but are you finding yourself like hey having more conversation about you might want to think about this one
1: i'm always having conversations (laughs) about what they need to think about yeah um i'm not going to ever outright say don't apply to this institution but i will give you anecdotal information and point them in the direction of a place where they can research what i might be inferring um a lot of it because sugarcoating doesn't do anything for anybody tell you a quick story so my very first graduating class was a class of 2012 yeah because i taught earlier grades then class of 2012 and at that time i was more college everybody everybody go to college everybody go to college regardless of um if you wanted to go regardless if you were academically ready just like thinking about you know metrics and data points or whatnot Mm -hmm. um there was a student that i knew he told me he did not want to go to college but he was like, all right, Martin, let's let's go. And that student went to school. I'm not going to name the school. Went to school. I knew it wasn't a good fit for him. However, I felt pressure to make sure that he went and at least got the college experience. I say he lived on, he wasn't a student at that school. I said, you had an apartment at X university for months because you talk about 0.0 GPA? Like he lived there. And that experience sits with me forever. Like that's a class. Oh, so we're 10 years, well, wow, 10 years out. And just sugarcoating information or withholding information was a disservice to that student. Now he's doing great now. Like I, I still keep in contact with him, yeah. but it doesn't serve anybody's purpose to not be truthful with our kids. Yeah. Um, it doesn't serve our kids or their livelihood If I'm not 100% honest. Now, one thing that I do do um, is make sure pre-COVID that I was on campuses and visiting. Like if you, if anybody followed my social media, like I'm on a, we, we, we would take a van across the state of Pennsylvania. We're at different schools, just making sure like, even if it's a place that they might not be familiar with that. I have physically stepped my foots on foot on their campus, or know another counselor that I trust that has been there, or make relationships with the people so that I can at least get a feel. Um, it's very important. Like networking is so important to me, you know. What? Oh yeah, being it it just is just being able to let my students know that personally I have been there. Let the parents know personally I've been there. I have talked to not just admissions. I've talked to the director of. The ACT 101 program, the director of the Summer Bridge program. I've talked to the like found those people on that campus that might not have a lot of people that look like us. However, I know that there is a supportive community. I've talked to the students. It's really important for me to have that firsthand knowledge, but mm. to, to give it to kids. But sugarcoating anything never helps because it backfires on yeah. on somebody.
0: Yeah, and I, I think a lot of us are more intentional. Behind the type of counseling we're doing nowadays and it's funny like I I sit on a bunch of like um, school district advisory boards for you know those counseling 339 plans and a lot of Mm. them have morphed into portrait of a graduate and things like that but it's it's interesting serving as a post secondary person in these rooms and it's funny how many of these school districts have discovered that there are more options for students out of just you know traditional four-year institutions it's like they they kind of are acting like they discovered Wonka's last golden ticket right it's like oh we've got Wonka's last golden ticket like we have it (laughs) there's other options for students and it's like yeah dude there's always been But in some cases, you were trying to talk those kids out. Like a kid who said, "Hey, I want to be a plumber." Mm -hmm. A lot of times, counselors were trying to talk them out. Well, there's more that you can do, and it's like, yes, no. Actually, like if my toilet backs up in my house, I'm in trouble, dude. Like I need I want for people to
1: explore a very intelligent person that can deal with that. Don't just
0: Yeah. And I, like, Mm -hmm. I have a a very dear friend of the family. His name is Wayne. He owns, he's a master plumber, owns his own business and he's incredible at what he does. He saved me a bunch of money by, Mm -hmm. you know, being honest, but also knowing what he's doing. And I thank God for people like him every day. Right. Mm -hmm. He's, he adds so much to society in the role that he has. There's Mm -hmm. not just one or two or three ways to do it. There's not so many. Right. But I think all of us are, are working hard those of us who who care about the impact we have on students right and, and who mm. professionally develop us ourselves like we, we are really trying to make sure that we're providing these kids with the right pathways and it's refreshing when talking to somebody like you who's so intentional about doing that, you know, because that's something I've been paying a lot of attention to myself. So I I wanted to ask you something else about, you know, what's going on in Philadelphia and these student experiences, especially when it comes to people like me, folks who are quote unquote gatekeepers at universities, right? And we're going to be reading a lot of applications from students from these regions, you know, from the greater Philadelphia region. What would you say is important for people like me to keep in mind as we're reviewing some of these applications of mm-hmm. students, you know, from Philadelphia and just what their day-to-day life is and what some of these concerns are. Like how should we allow this or 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 enable this to inform us as we work with these students moving forward?
1: Um there, there's a myriad of things that are happening um collectively on top of one another for yeah. everyone, right? Yeah. Um, I did a count. One of my lunch and learns was just about how we're living a collective experience individually. Like we're all going through a pandemic. We all have, you know, the quarantines and everything, but however, we're all experiencing it differently. Um, When I think about speaking to admissions counselors, thinking about my students sending out their applications as we're doing now, one thing I ask is that you read it through the lens of students that are resilient, Mm -hmm. excuse the background noise. There will always be background noise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The students are resilient and on so many different levels, Um, just going from 100% in-person to 100% virtual without tech training without understanding of computers. And I know a lot of times when students are applying to college, people assume that our students might have technology skill that they might not. Mm. And just the turnaround was within two weeks in March, 2020. We're on a computer for 18 months after that. Um, Thinking about the trauma that our students are constantly enthralled in yeah I can say there are so many um incidents that impact their day-to-day life Mm. things that are indescribable for them and things that might not they might not even be comfortable with sharing many times when we're going over like the college essay and um our English classes for the last two months have been like refining their college essays um, our students are writing about situations and experiences from a first person point of view That may scare people,
0: Mm.
1: but they are things that they have gone through. Um, Our students also are, because I love my kids so much, Yeah, students want to help people more so than students that I see in other places. And when I say, Mm. I mean, the majors or the careers that they're looking to do are careers in which have impacted people in their family. Like I A lot of our students are not necessarily want to be accountants. They want to be um, nurses is huge. Teachers are huge. Counselors are huge. Social workers are huge. Those helping fields where they're not even thinking about, you know, how much money they may or may not make, but just those fields where they can help somebody. And when you always, when, whenever I talk to them, I say, I like to help people. I want to say three out of four of my students will say that in their individual um, counseling appointments like just thinking about all the things that our students have gone through and also all of our students haven't gone through all the same things but yeah. when reading they, they just they just haven't but when reading applications just thinking about there is just a myriad of things that are happening yes we might all have a collective experience but we're all living it separately um, I never like for people to lump everyone in because everyone has their own personal experience but just True. keep in mind that they you know they they're they're living through a lot
0: Yeah, I think that is the one one of the silver linings of the last two years in there being a shared experience, right? Mm Because when something happens to a specific community, Mm -hmm. you can sympathize to a certain point, but it's hard to empathize with it, right? But in all of us having this shared experience and different levels to it, like there are certain friends of mine that have somehow done far better financially. Right. You know, in the midst of the pandemic, when others have never been in more dire Mm straits financially. Folks who have lived their best life in, in isolation and quarantine and others who have become an emotional, anxious wreck mm-hmm. because they lacked, you know, con- contact with individuals. Right. Yes. But I, and I think we have to be those of us who work in college counseling have to be able to, you know, translate that and give that grace and extension to our prospective students mm-hmm. and understanding that they, too, have varied degrees of impact and fallout from COVID and social justice and, and all of that type of stuff that has really been at the forefront of our minds, you know, over the last, you know, two years, two years plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's great advice because I, I I think we're, you know, we're getting ready to head into reading season. Mm-hmm. And that's been weighing on me a lot. Like, you know, because every school is saying, we hear you, we're not gonna hold things against you. I don't buy it. I don't, I don't buy it a hundred percent because okay, so how? Like nobody's told me how. Exactly. Everybody's like, well, we're going to read in context, and we understand that you haven't been able to be involved in as many clubs and organizations, and you may not have been able to do this, and you've been or impacted take the standardized test, and or take the all standardized uh-huh. test, and so okay, that's great, but how? How have you been trained within your office to read with that type of context? Nobody's providing me with that. Right. right. And so, no, we're going to. Well, if you haven't been trained over the summer in order to do that, then you're not going to be able to just input right. that as you're reading applications in the fall. It doesn't make sense. Right. Like that's something that would have had to been sussed out far in advance. And so, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing those words because I'm going to I'm going to hold that as I'm reading applications, you know, you know, moving forward to, to review students in the context of their experience, not the greater context yep. of society at large.
1: I'm, um I'm trying to, again, and this rapport and getting them the, to, you know, realize who they are and building up their self, really try to tell their story through their applications, um, and not just in their essay. And they share. Um, I encourage my students not to leave anything blank, even the optional things, just because this is your voice. Um, and I know, like Penn State, y'all don't want anything extra. <laughs> <You're> like, okay, <laughs> no, 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 no. But, um, I encourage them to just fill the pages with you. Like, this is for for many of you. This is the only representation of yourself that this school is going to have Mm -hmm. whether it be a trade school and I also talk to my students that are going into the workforce or it's a workforce training program um, there is more to you than just what you fill out on this job application Mm -hmm. many students require a recommendation or essay like this is all they have of you let's talk about yourself talk yourself up and I find that in talking to my students like this it's bringing up their self-value their self-worth because if you're not seeing value around you if Mm you not feeling valued in your own city, if people are dying around you um, almost daily, your your sense of self-worth has no place to go but down. So just giving them, planting those little seeds of building up your self-worth just even if it's just writing about yourself even if it's just filling out this college application even if it's just dreaming about going away out of Philly to a college if it's just dreaming about going to a job core um, program in Arizona just giving them something else to focus on and plan towards and some hope towards something else like that's that's all I can do like I I, I love what I do I love my kids. Um, I love showing my actual daughters that you can have a career that is close to your heart, where you can, you know, survive and be, you know, have a sustainable living. It's just, I really want my students to know that it is up to them and they do have value. And this article was all just about how much they don't see their value in the world around them. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's why we love you. You know, you love your students, you love your work, and that's why those of us who have had the pleasure to to work alongside you, whether it be professionally or in the professional development sphere, that's why we love having you at the table all the time, Dana. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today. If folks want to read you or get your thoughts on things later, like where, where can they find this article and other things that you're up to? um give us that kind of rundown of of your company your 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 blog spot just talk to us real quick about that
1: all right so um i'm pretty low-key so dana martin college on instagram that's where you can catch me my professional ig um i do have at getmykidthecollege.com that is um just where i house my books that I've written, I've written a couple books about how to help people get money for college for their kids. Um, Coach at gmail.com. That is literally the easiest way to get to me um, via email. And my blog is passionatelymanaginglife.blogspot.com. That's where I just write how I'm feeling in the moment. I've been writing for about five years um, and I have another book coming out, but we'll save that one for later. Oh, my Lord. And so uh, wh- when do you breathe? Uh, when do you <sighs> sleep? <laughs> what do you find time to the parents? I, t- listen, my, my husband is my biggest supporter. So shout out to Tyreek Martin for loaning me out to people all the time. But, you know, my kids are older now. That's one thing I do love about this season in my life. Like my kids are 11 and 20 and I've been bragging about it. Like I'd highly recommend these ages mm. with the little kids because it, it's, it's kind of dope having kids that are <laughs> self-sufficient. My 11-year-old, it's good 20-year-old's in college, so all good. That is
0: awesome. Well, you know, stay healthy, stay well, keep in touch. Dana, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. Good time. All
0: right. See ya. Thank you so much once again to Dana Martin for coming on this week's podcast. She will be back. We're tossing around a couple of topics that we want to tackle in the near future. So I'm sure you're going to be excited for that when the time comes. But thank you, Dana, so very, very much. The Bebo University podcast will return shortly. Uh, I have some things on my mind about the NBA season. Everyone in my life is asking me about Ben Simmons as I am a known Sixers fan. And so I may tackle that topic because I have an interesting take on Ben that I haven't heard from a lot of different places. So I might share that with the people. You can find me online at Jeremy Bebo is my Twitter handle. And at the Bebo U podcast is where you can find me on Instagram as well. Thank you so much for your support of the Bebo University podcast to this point. And please, please, on Apple podcast, please rate the podcast. Give us five stars. It helps me grow it and uh, maybe opens us up to some new opportunities and guests down the road. But thank you so much for listening. See you next time.